God bless you. Thank you so much. You may be seated this morning. He overcame, and so we can overcome. We can overcome by the word. What's the lyric there? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Y'all believe that? Amen. Amen. So it's July 4th, and I have this awesome shirt on. Y'all like my shirt? Yeah. I got this shirt for Father's Day. So I, I think it's kind of neat. I got, I, I, I got my Father's Day pin. We gave pins out. And, and at that time, I didn't have a shirt with a pocket in it. I told you my dad always had a shirt with a pocket on it. Today would have been um, my dad's birthday. Uh, I mean, I guess it still is. But, uh, but he's, he's, he's celebrating on the other side of uh, glory right now. Um, but um, but uh, have my Father's Day pin. Have a shirt that I got for Father's Day from my son. And I have a pocket that I can put my Father's Day pin in. And uh, it's July 4th, it just all comes together. Um, whenever, um, whenever Brittany took my boys to get the, the gifts that they were giving me for Father's Day, um, she said, okay, y'all each get to pick out one thing. And, and she gave them like three categories and then they each got to pick out something uh, themselves. And so Oliver got uh, a clothing item, a shirt. And she said, okay, and he picked out this shirt. And uh, she said, Oliver, why? Why did you pick this shirt? And uh, this was Oliver's response. Oh, no. You have to turn up the uh, USB. USB at the very end. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, man. All right, we can try it one more time. And if it doesn't work this time. Yeah. Here's what he said. Did y'all get that? No? So frustrating. You know. He said, because he loves America and everybody loves America. And then... And then when he told me that afternoon, he said, because freedom. (laughs) So it was cuter whenever he did it. But thank you all for indulging me with uh, the technological difficulties, despite the technological difficulties. So I do love America. I'm thankful for America. Glad to be a citizen of America. Um. But I can never find myself without a little bit of a struggle, conundrum, a, a battle. Because as much as I love America, I have citizenship, truer citizenship. In the kingdom of heaven. Do do you feel that 
that tug and that pull sometimes? And, and here's the deal. If you're only thinking about the good things about America, it really, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of hard to do this sometimes. Right? It's sometimes when you're only thinking about the good things about America, you don't think about like the, hey, like, this is not my home. I mean, think about the, the, the opportunities that America has provided people. I mean, I look at Brother Bruno. Brother Bruno's family came over here from Italy. Um, and uh, uh, they got here. And can I, t- I don't know if I should tell this. It's being live broadcast. I don't want the authorities to come after you. Uh, but uh, but uh, his, they, they, got, they got in, all right? Uh, they finagled their way in. Uh, but uh, no, they came to America and have established themselves. And he's, you know, he's... Uh, grew up, had the opportunity to grow up and be educated. And he's a hard worker himself, a self-starter, very takes initiative. And ends up making a wonderful life for he and his family, in part because of the opportunities that were provided for him in this nation that other nations don't get, quite frankly. Uh, some nations, because they're under dictatorships, they don't get the opportunities. Some nations, because of the, um, you know, the structure of their economy. And because of the lack of the resources. And when you think about these things, you're like, I'm proud to be an American. And these things sometimes can overshadow the dark realities. It can cause us to forget that America operates the same way that all, that, that like when, when Revelation is talking about all the kingdoms of this world have actually, have actually committed fornication with the great whore of Babylon. Like whenever Revelation uses that language, America's right with all the kingdoms of this world. America didn't become free because it laid down its life on the cross. It took lives from others. And that's the way of every kingdom in this world. And so sometimes we go, well, well, what were we supposed to do? Well, that's not the point. The point is, it's just a reminder. It is just like all the other kingdoms. Our wealth and the privileges don't always just come because we're, 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 we're more ingenuitive or we're harder working. We are hardworking. We are very ingenuitive. But it has also come because we've oppressed other people. We've exploited other people. In our own nation... And from other nations. That's where the rub comes in for me. Because here's the deal. I can tell you this. I like living in Friendswood, Texas. That's an affluent, safe community. It's part of the greatest state in this nation. (laughs) 
<laughs> and part of the greatest nation possibly this world has ever known by this world's standards, right? And because of that, I forget. I forget that I am susceptible. I'm susceptible to like the three Hebrew boys. I'm like Daniel. I'm susceptible to eat the king's meat. They didn't, but they were susceptible to it, right? I'm susceptible to bowing down to the king's image. And, and yes, that was a, a literal historical event that happened, but it's also a metaphor, isn't it? It, it, I would say this, it wouldn't, we wouldn't be so susceptible if it wasn't such a great place, right? But because it's a great place, it makes us very susceptible. So this morning, while we are celebrating that we are citizens of America, throughout the day, I wanted us to come back inside here for a minute. And reorient ourselves, remind ourselves that that's a, that's a second-class citizenry that we have as American citizens. Our first-order citizenship is the highest-order citizenship. And you and I are citizens of God's kingdom. And as such, uh, we have some marching orders. We have some civic duty, if you will, some civic responsibility as citizens of heaven. And to find those civic duties, those responsibilities that we have as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, I'm going to invite you to turn to uh, Philippians chapter number one, and we're going to look at from the end of chapter number one through chapter two, verse number 18 is going to be our text. Setting the stage here. Uh, we, uh, I, I talked about me getting this shirt for Father's Day, wearing my Father's Day pin on my father's birthday. And uh, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about Jesus's father. And one of the things that we have to understand about this statement that Jesus is the son of God is, is, is outside of the familial relational uh, or the filial relational aspect of that, the paternal uh, aspect of that. We have to understand that whenever, uh, whenever <clears throat> you have this, this title, God, son of God, right, this title is, 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 is also indicative of God's choice king. We get this from Psalm number two. Psalm two reads, in verse number seven, I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, you are my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, 
and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. You're my son. That means I'm going to give you uh, kingly authority. I'm going to give you authority, and I'll give you this whole thing. Whatever you want as your inheritance, as your possession, this can all be your realm and all of your reign. So whenever we think about Jesus as Father, and we think about calling Jesus the Son of God, one of the things that we need to keep in our hearts and our minds is, is that this is, this is like a title for the King. This is who the Messiah is, who, whoever is is the son of God. And in Psalm 2 says, the one who has it declared over them, thou art my son, is the king, God's choice king, the king who will have the, and uh, who, who will rule everything, who will rule whatever, whatever uh, God gives him as an inheritance and as a possession. And then uh, going from there, uh, you go to uh, Mark chapter number nine, and, and you could also look at uh, other places, but, but you know, we think about when Jesus came out of the, uh, out of the baptismal waters, uh, the voice declared the decree. You are my son, my only begotten, who, in whom I delight. That decree was not just saying, hey, I'm, your, I'm a proud papa. That decree was saying, you're the king. You're the authority. That's why whenever Jesus goes off into the, the desert and off into the wilderness, one of the things that he gets tempted with is, hey, if you're really the king, you know, uh, is God really going to give you everything or do I need to give you everything? Are you going to get everything God's way or are you going to get everything by bowing down to the Satan? The accuser. Who's the real king? Who's the real authority? But then also in Mark chapter number 9, whenever Jesus was transfigured, and he's there, and uh, Peter, James, and John are with him, and they're taken back by the scene. And Peter, not knowing what to say, and instead of keeping his mouth shut, says something anyways. <laughs> Have y'all been there? I don't really know what to say, so I'm going to blurt out something right now. I love the honesty of the text. Peter said this because he did not know what to say. <laughs> it's like we all are going like, I've been there, Peter. Um, yeah, I think I would have said something stupid there too, right? Don't you think so? I mean, if you think you would have been better than Peter, get off your horse, okay? Get off your high horse. Stop acting like you would have been any bit better than Peter. I mean, we give Peter such a hard time. There's Peter putting his foot in his mouth like we haven't. Like you did it yesterday, right? I mean, come on. And, and think about this. You know, Peter's nervous. He's with Jesus. And he believes Jesus to be the divine son of God, the Messiah, the king of Israel, and, and, and the king of the whole world. This is what Peter has made this declaration. We believe you are Lord. So he's probably trying to always impress him. Right? He's, he wants to be impressive to him. Have you ever tried to impress somebody? And if you haven't lately, go back to your junior high self whenever you were trying to impress your friends. Because Peter probably wasn't much older than a junior high boy. He was probably late early uh, uh, mid-adolescence probably. Think about when you were trying to impress that girl. I bet you said some things, Right? And I don't know why I'm going off on this, except for it's kind of humorous to me uh, a little bit. And it's very thoughtful for me to think about, let's put ourselves really in Peter's shoes. We scoff at him all the time. But he's nervous. And he's trying to impress Jesus. 
And God says, stop talking. This is my son. Listen to him. Hmm. This is my son. He declared the decree again of Psalm 2. Listen to him. And what's really important about that is if we think about Peter talking there, we have to remember whenever Peter talked, when Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. Peter didn't only nervously, anxiously, stupidly, foolishly say something on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter had also told Jesus, we won't let that happen to you. In Caesarea Philippi. And so whenever God says for Peter to listen to Jesus, he's not just saying in general, though that's true. But he's saying, remember the last time you opened your mouth and you needed to be rebuked? You needed to be told, get thou behind me, Satan, or get thee behind me, Satan? You need to listen to Jesus because this is the Jesus way. Jesus, my son, is going to establish his kingdom, the everlasting kingdom, in an entirely new way. It will not be established like the kingdoms of this world, where the kingdoms of this world are established by taking lives from people. This kingdom will be established by my son offering his life for the sake of the world. Because of this, because Son of God is not just talking about a relationship between the Father and Son, but because it's talking about a title of who Jesus is. The Apostle Paul, when writing to the church at Philippi, would use some very interesting language. What you need to know, and if you've been at our church for any, for more than five minutes, because I can't get away from Philippians, and I can't get away from these texts, I don't know why it is, but, but if you've been at our church for more than five minutes, you've probably heard me say this, Philippi was a Roman colony. Now, that might not mean anything to you, but think about yourself on this morning, how you feel whenever you woke up, and you're like, I'm an American citizen. And not only that, I'm from Texas, right? And whoever's not from Texas and an American citizen, I feel bad for them. But I feel really good about myself this morning, right? That's what it felt like to be a citizen, a Roman citizen in a Roman colony, about a hundred years before Paul showed up to Philippi, Octavian at that time, who later became Augustus Caesar, he had, he had made Philippi a Roman colony. See, he had just defeated Julius Caesar, the, or he's just defeated the assassins of Julius Caesar, and uh, on the plains of Philippi, 
And to honor the city, he said, you're now going to be a Roman colony. Now, here's the deal. It was an honor, but he wasn't a dummy. He did this for all the politically motivated reasons, all, for all the logistical infrastructural reasons. Philippi was, a, was, a, was, a, was, a, was on this, uh, what they called the Ignatian Way. It connected the East Roman Empire with the West Roman Empire. And so it was a strategic location. So him granting this city, um, Roman, uh, making it a Roman colony, uh, boosting, boosting its, uh, its, its, its position in life, as it were, uh, was, was, a way for him to, was a way for him to make sure, hey, I'm going to have good thoroughfare, good traffic running on this on this major road that connects here. Not only, not only did he say, hey, it's a Roman colony, he, he, he would, he would uh, take his retired soldiers and he would settle them there in Philippi. And so now, because they don't have a standing army, if he needed, if there was a skirmish that broke out, he had a, he had a militia that he could gather, that he could round up. And, and, and they would, because guess what? He had given them land and he had given them rights as citizens and he had made this city a colony. And so, and so they owed it to him. Oh, generous Octavian. Oh, generous Augustus Caesar. Thank you so much for what you've given us. We'll lay down our lives for you. Are y'all tracking? So Paul writes, in his letter to the Philippians. These people who are Roman citizens in a Roman colony who took great pride from that. And not only did they take great pride, they had a lot of privilege because of that. It, very simply, we know that Roman citizens had privilege from the Bible because Paul himself was a, was a Roman citizen. Paul was a Jewish man, but he had, uh, his, his family had uh, obtained Roman citizenship. And whenever Paul was about to be stoned by the Jews in Jerusalem, and the Roman guard was just going to let it happen, Paul said, are you going to let them do this to a Roman citizen? See, see, you and I, we know we have privileges as American citizens. In fact, there's major debates and, 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 and there's a lot of push and pull about what does it mean for, for new people to come into our, into our nation and, and, and be granted citizenship. And, and, and not only, hey, we, we have, we, we welcome a lot of people who migrate and are immigrants into America, but, but then the question becomes, okay, what do we do if they snuck in? Because we have to have law and order. And it is a right and it is a privilege. And we have to figure it out. And as American citizens, we can go, well, I can tell you what they can do. But you know, whenever you look at it as a, as a child of God, you're also kind of going, oh, can, can we figure out something? There's that push and that pull, and that rub, that battle that happens. Now, 
Now, I will say this, on the other hand, people can exploit that child of God thing too. They can go, well, you're children of God, you're supposed to be hospitable and generous. And you're kind of going, yeah, but we are being hospitable and generous. We, we welcome in immigrants all the time, right? There is a proper way to become an American citizen. So, Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and after he gives them some updates about how he's doing, what he's, what's going on with him, he says, hey, I, I, I don't know, but I hope to come and see you again. I hope to come and see you, and I, and I hope whenever I come and see you, man, my, my joy's going to be full, and your joy's going to be full. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great reunion. Y'all know what it's like to have those family reunions, you know? You know what it's like to see somebody that you haven't seen in a while. Brother John Epperson, he's not here all the time because he's working over in North Carolina. Uh, and, uh, and so anytime that he walks in, I'm always like, John, there you are, yeah. It's always a little bit uh, uh, uplifting. And that's why some of y'all, if y'all don't get that from me, I see you too much, okay? Um, it's just too much. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> and some of y'all, if y'all get this, you, you do it to other people too. So don't worry that I did it to you. Okay, no, I'm just joking. I don't do that, y'all. I'm just joking with you. Uh, so he writes to them and he says, I hope to come and see you again. Uh, and we're going to have a great time of fellowship. I, I can imagine Paul just daydreaming about it. And this is where Paul says, like, part of me, I want to depart and be with uh, Jesus because I know f- to be absent from the body is present with the Lord, Paul would say. That I, I, want, I want to go be with my Lord. But the other part is, like, I, I want to be with you guys. And then Paul says, only, verse 27, only let your, and the King's English says, conversation most modern translations will say citizenship because the greek word standing behind this is the word um i can't pronounce it very well but it's polytuste polytuste it was the word for citizenship Elsewhere, when Paul wants to talk about somebody's conduct, their manner of life, their way of living, he will use this other Greek word that talks about like your walk, how you comport yourself, how you conduct yourself. Paul doesn't use that word here. He actually uses that word elsewhere in Philippians. So we know that he had that word on on hand and he could have used it if that's what he wanted. But Paul wasn't doing that. Paul was a brilliant man led by a brilliant spirit. And whenever he was talking to these Roman citizens who were so proud of the Roman citizenship, he said, I want you to think about your heavenly citizenship. And so Paul says, only let your citizenship, King's English says, be as it becometh. Let's just say, be worthy. Only let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that if I come to see you or I never see you again, 
I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast, that you're committed to the task of citizenship worthy of the gospel. In one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And you're not terrified when they threaten to take your 501c3 status away and make you pay taxes. You're not terrified when they say, if you don't do things the way that we want you to do them, we'll strip you of your rights. You're not terrified by your adversaries. Why? <clears throat> because you're standing fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel is to them an evident token of perdition. But to you of salvation. And that salvation comes from God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Gordon Fee would say that, verses, that beginning in verse 27 this imperative to to be citizens worthy of the gospel. This imperative carries Paul's argument through chapter 2, verse number 18. So everything that he says from that point through chapter 2, verse 18, is with this in mind. I'm saying all of this, I'm telling you this, these things, to build up this chief imperative. When you do this, you are being worthy Citizens of the gospel of Christ. When you do these things. And now we should be well familiar with the next part of the text. What things is he talking about? There's three things that I can, I can highlight. And there's probably could we could find some minute details throughout it all. But there's three key things that Paul says. First of all, he says, be unified. Worthy citizens of the gospel strive for unity. And they strive through unity or for unity through humility. And they strive for hum unity through humility uh, by peace, by acting peaceably. Those, that's the statement. Those are the key points. Unity, humility, peace. Let's point them out in the text, and then we can go on. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies. When he says if there, he doesn't really mean if there. 
This is a first-class condition. It means since there are these things. It's kind of rhetorical. You know that these things are true. You know that there is consolation in Christ. You know that there's comfort of love in Christ. You know that there's fellowship of the Spirit. You know that there's compassion in Christ, right? And since you know that there's mercy in Christ, here's what I want you to do. I want you to fulfill my joy, be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Unity. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Humility. And then Paul says, let me give you the chief example for this. Jesus Christ. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus, who was worthy of kingship because he is the son of God. It was declared and decreed over him, just like Psalm 2 said it would. This day have I begotten thee, thou art my son. Jesus is the one who had that decreed over him. And he had all right to take possession of that authority. But instead of taking possession of authority, seizing the possession of that authority by force, Jesus did something that no king of this world has ever done, that no kingdom of this world has ever done. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. made himself of no reputation. He was not an Instagram influencer. He was not. This message is approved by Jesus Christ. He was of no reputation. In fact, one of the craziest things in the Gospels is when he is gathering a bunch of crowds, Jesus keeps going out into deserted places to the wilderness. He's not trying to build a movement in the way that the kings of this world would build a movement. He took upon him the form of a servant. He didn't come in and say, everybody kiss my feet. He said, hey, let me wash yours. He was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. When we talk about humility, we're not talking about going, oh, gee, shucks, I didn't do anything. No, <laughs> just good upbringing by my mama. Yep, yep, my, yep, that's why I did that. You know that kind of humility that we talk about in America? No, when we talk about humility, we're talking about the humility of Christ. The way in which Christ humbled himself was to say, I'm not going to win by doing things the world's way. I don't have to take advantage of somebody. I don't have to beat them up. I don't have to mock them and a group of people and let everybody go, oh, he got him. I don't have to sit there and, and put out tweets that say that talk about their looks. 
and degrade people that way. Nope. And what happened through all this? Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel message is this Jesus is Lord. That's the gospel message. First and foremost, he is Lord. He is king. He's sovereign. He's the authority. And because he's king, that's why we can be saved. Because he's king, that's why he can grant forgiveness. Because he's king, that's why he judges. It is, he is the sovereign authority over heaven and earth. And the way that he took his authority, well, the way he received authority was by receiving authority, not by seizing authority. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. Remember, Paul had just talked about, hey, I'm gone, but hopefully we'll get back together. Hopefully we'll get back together again. But even if we don't, this is what I want y'all to do. He comes right back around to that. I was just telling you, the imperative is be worthy citizens of the gospel. How are you going to do that? Unity through humility, but I'm not done yet. As you've always obeyed, not as only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Here, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Sometimes we want to make way too much of this statement theologically, I think. I think Paul is simply saying here, look, you've received a new life in Christ. You've been rescued, you've been saved. Figure out what that means each and every day. What does it mean to be saved from X, Y, Z? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasures. And then Paul says this. Do all things without murmurings and without disputings. Let's say without complaining and without arguing. How many of y'all have been on a car trip with your children? And you've heard the murmurings and the disputings in the back seat. And then they cause murmurings and disputings in the front seat too, right? Peace. Unity. Humility. Peace. What does it mean to, look, to, to be worthy citizens of the gospel? We are people who are people of unity and about unity. So that means, let's just say this, when there are people who are seeking to sow discord and division in the church, in the community, we are not those people who hop on that bus. We are those people who act against that bus. My friend the other day, they were... Um, baseball team and uh, and there was some murmuring and complaining about the coach and they said you know what we're, we're all gonna get together we're just gonna bring it up to him he said well that doesn't sound like the best way to do it my friend who is led by the gospel of jesus christ said why don't we get together why don't we have a conversation and articulate some things so that we don't just come and bombard this guy 
with a whole bunch of complaints. Why don't we offer it to him in a different way? And so before they met with the coach, they had a meeting with the dads, and he had to facilitate it. That's a practical example about how you don't sow discord and division. But how you can, they had to address the issue. Here's the other thing that we've done in the church. We go, well, we're all about unity. So we see this problem, but we're not going to address it. That's not for unity, right? Recently had to address some, like a very sensitive issue. And it's like one of those things, like you're sitting there and talking with other people. And it's like, man, this is, this is hard. It's sensitive. People's feelings are involved. And it's like, I mean, it feels unloving and unkind to have to kind of bring it out and to point it out and to say, hey, we're, this is an issue. But then you think about it on the other end. What's more of an issue that everybody is talking about that person behind their back and what they're not doing, how they're not living up to the code behind their back? Is that more unifying or more dividing? So unity doesn't mean that we stick our heads in the sand and we don't address things. It means how we go about addressing things, right? Unity, humility, and peace. We should be striving for unity. The ones who are leading the united way. Through humility and peace. And here's what Paul rounds it out with. Do all these things so that you may be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse King James Version says nation right there, but the Greek word is genia, and it really means generation. And as much as I would have liked Paul to use the word nation there because it would have played well on 4th of July. That's not the word. It says when we do these things, we can be blameless and harmless. And we can be What? The children of God. The children of God are marked by unity, humility, and peace. Citizens of the gospel of Christ are marked by unity, humility, and peace. These are words that get tossed around, not only in America, but in all the human traditions. Paul says that you do all these things, not seizing unity, but you lay down your life and you receive unity. You lay down your pride and you receive unity. You lay down your complaints and your arguments and you receive it. So this morning, you and I are citizens of the kingdom of heaven.
I wanted to remind you and me of this because, because we're so susceptible. We're so susceptible to the dainties and the delicacies and the delights. Not only of this world in general, but of America in particular. And to be more specific, Texas. Because everybody's coming to Texas now. Because the secret's out. We are the best. And they're ruining it, aren't they? Our housing market is going crazy. It's not fun. I wanted to remind us at that, as privileged and as prideful, in a good sense of prideful, honoring that it is that we are citizens of America, that will always be our second order citizenship. We are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of heaven, citizens who should walk worthy whose citizenship should be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And the gospel is that by seizing and stealing and exploiting and oppressing and avenging and pummeling but he received he received his authority by laying down his life. Not in any sort of death in particular, I mean in general, but in the particular death of the cross of Calvary. And so if you and I are going to live our lives as worthy citizens of that gospel, striving for unity, uh, we will be marked by humility as outlined as above in Christ and peace. May we, may we, may we, in the absence, not of Paul, but of Jesus, may we be obedient until that day that the trump sounds. And Jesus Christ returns. And we find our citizenship in full. And he changes our vile body. Until that day, may we walk worthy. Amen. Join me in prayer. And then um, Brother Mitch and the team will come. And, uh, and we'll be dismissed with a song. Lord, I love you and I thank you for who you are. God, I thank you for your word. I do pray that we would receive your word. Lord, I do pray not only that we would receive your word, but I pray that we would um, practically apply your word. I pray that we would uh, find ways, imaginative ways, in which your word can be worked out in our lives, Lord. I pray. God, uh, we thank you for America. We celebrate 
people who've been honorable, valorous, people who've given their lives so that they could help create a nation that would provide freedom and opportunity for people of this world. People who who dared to say, we're going to make not a nation out of an ethnic group or one particular tribe, but we're going to make a nation of all, all kindreds, of all languages. We thank you for that. In America, we get glimpses of the beauty of the gospel. But yet, America, for all, for all its beauty, we know it's still a kingdom of this world. So Lord, don't let us be duped by the beauty, deceived by the beauty, to live as citizens first and foremost of America, but let us always remember, let's always remember the true beauty of Jesus, of his life, of his sacrifice of the way he received his authority. And may we be worthy citizens of the gospel. I pray these things in the mighty, resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to invite you all. Y'all can pray if you want to spend some time in reflection. Or you can stand and sing. Whenever you're ready to stand and sing, uh, you can join uh, Brother Mitch and the group. Blessing.